When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Law School of America In the United States, freedom of speech and expression is strongly protected from government restrictions by the First Amendment to the United States Constitution, many state constitutions, and state and federal laws. Freedom of speech, also called free speech, means the free and public expression of opinions without censorship, interference and restraint by the government. The term freedom of speech embedded in the First Amendment encompasses the decision what to say as well as what not to say. The Supreme Court of the United States has recognized several categories of speech that are given lesser or no protection by the First Amendment and has recognized that governments may enact reasonable time, place, or manner restrictions on speech. The First Amendment's constitutional right of free speech, which is applicable to state and local governments under the Incorporation Doctrine, prevents only government restrictions on speech, not restrictions imposed by private individuals or businesses unless they are acting on behalf of the government. However, laws may restrict the ability of private businesses and individuals from restricting the speech of others, such as employment laws that restrict employers' ability to prevent employees from disclosing their salary with co-workers or attempting to organize a labor union. The First Amendment's freedom of speech right not only proscribes most government restrictions on the content of speech and ability to speak, but also protects the right to receive information, prohibits most government restrictions or burdens that discriminate between speakers, restricts the tort liability of individuals for certain speech, and prevents the government from requiring individuals and corporations to speak or finance certain types of speech with which they do not agree. Categories of speech that are given lesser or no protection by the First Amendment include obscenity, as determined by the Miller test, fraud, child pornography, speech integral to illegal conduct, speech that incites imminent lawless action, and regulation of commercial speech such as advertising. Within these limited areas, other limitations on free speech balance rights to free speech and other rights, such as rights for authors over their works, copyright, protection from imminent or potential violence against particular persons, restrictions on the use of untruths to harm others, slander and libel, and communications while a person is in prison. When a speech restriction is challenged in court, it is presumed invalid and the government bears the burden of convincing the court that the restriction is constitutional. History. England. During colonial times, English speech regulations were rather restrictive. The English criminal common law of seditious libel made criticizing the government a crime. Lord Chief Justice John Holt, writing in 1704-1705, explained the rationale for the prohibition, for it is very necessary for all governments that the people should have a good opinion of it. The objective truth of the statement and violation of the libel law was not a defense. Until 1694 England had an elaborate system of licensing, no publication was allowed without the accompaniment of the government-granted license. Colonies. The colonies originally had very different views on the protection of free speech. During English colonialism in America, there were fewer prosecutions for seditious libel than England, but other controls over dissident speech existed. The most stringent controls on speech in the colonial period were controls that outlawed or otherwise censored speech that was considered blasphemous in a religious sense. 
a 1646 Massachusetts law, for example, punished persons who denied the immortality of the soul. In 1612, a Virginia governor declared the death penalty for a person that denied the Trinity under Virginia's laws divine, moral, and martial, which also outlawed blasphemy, speaking badly of ministers and royalty, and disgraceful words. More recent scholarship, focusing on seditious speech in the 17th century colonies, when there was no press, has shown that from 1607 to 1700 the colonists' freedom of speech expanded dramatically, laying a foundation for the political dissent that flowered among the revolutionary generation. The trial of John Peter Zinger in 1735 was a seditious libel prosecution for Zinger's publication of criticisms of the governor of New York, William Cosby. Andrew Hamilton represented Zinger and argued that truth should be a defense to the crime of seditious libel, but the court rejected this argument. Hamilton persuaded the jury, however, to disregard the law and to acquit Zinger. The case is considered a victory for freedom of speech as well as a prime example of jury nullification. The case marked the beginning of a trend of greater acceptance and tolerance of free speech. First Amendment Ratification In the 1780s after the American Revolutionary War, debate over the adoption of a new constitution resulted in a division between Federalists, such as Alexander Hamilton who favored a strong federal government, and anti-federalists, such as Thomas Jefferson and Patrick Henry who favored a weaker federal government. During and after the Constitution ratification process, anti-federalists and state legislatures expressed concern that the new Constitution placed too much emphasis on the power of the federal government. The drafting and eventual adoption of the Bill of Rights, including the First Amendment, was, in large part, a result of these concerns, as the Bill of Rights limited the power of the federal government. Alien and Sedition Acts In 1798, Congress, which contained several of the ratifiers of the First Amendment at the time, adopted the Alien and Sedition Acts. The laws prohibited the publication of false, scandalous, and malicious writings against the government of the United States, or either House of the Congress of the United States, or the President of the United States, with intent to defame, or to bring them, into contempt or disrepute, or to excite against them, hatred of the good people of the United States, or to stir up sedition within the United States, or to excite any unlawful combinations therein, for opposing or resisting any law of the United States, or any act of the President of the United States. The law did allow truth as a defense and required proof of malicious intent. The 1798 Act nevertheless made ascertainment of the intent of the framers regarding the First Amendment somewhat difficult, as some of the members of Congress that supported the adoption of the First Amendment also voted to adopt the 1798 Act. The Federalists under President John Adams aggressively used the law against their rivals, the Democratic Republicans. The Alien and Sedition Acts were a major political issue in the 1800 election, and after he was elected president, Thomas Jefferson pardoned those who had been convicted under the act. The act expired and the Supreme Court never ruled on its constitutionality. In New York Times v. Sullivan, the court declared although the Sedition Act was never tested in this court, the attack upon its validity has carried the day in the court of history. 1964. Censorship Era from the late 1800s to the mid-1900s, various laws restricted speech in ways that are today not allowed, mainly due to societal norms. Possibly inspired by foul language and the widely available pornography he encountered during the American Civil War, Anthony Comstock advocated for government suppression of speech that offended Victorian morality. He convinced the government of New York State to create the New York Society for the Suppression of Vice, in 1873, 
and inspired the creation of the Watch and Ward Society in Boston in 1878. City and state governments monitored newspapers, books, theater, comedy acts, and films for offensive content, and enforced laws with arrests, impoundment of materials, and fines. The Comstock laws passed by Congress, and related state laws, prohibited sending materials through the U.S. mail that included pornography, information about contraception, abortion, and sex toys, and personal letters mentioning sexual activities. Regulation of American film by state and local governments was supplemented by the Motion Picture Production Code from to 1930 to 1968, in an industry effort to preempt federal regulation. The similar industry backed Comics Code Authority lasted from 1954 to 2011. Some laws were motivated not by morality, but concerns over national security. The Office of Censorship suppressed communication of information of military importance during World War II, including by journalists and all correspondents going into or out of the United States. McCarthyism from the 1940s to the 1950s resulted in the suppression of advocacy of communism, and the Hollywood blacklist. This included some prosecutions under the Smith Act of 1940. Modern View As a result of the jurisprudence of the Warren Court in the mid to late 20th century, the court has moved towards a baseline default rule under which freedom of speech is generally presumed to be protected, unless a specific exception applies. Therefore, apart from certain narrow exceptions, the government normally cannot regulate the content of speech. In 1971, in Cohen v. California, Justice John Marshall Harlan II, citing Whitney v. California, emphasized that the First Amendment operates to protect the inviolability of a marketplace of ideas, while Associate Justice Thurgood Marshall cogently explained in 1972 that, above all else, the First Amendment means that the government has no power to restrict expression because of its message, its ideas, its subject matter, or its content. To permit the continued building of our politics and culture, and to assure self-fulfillment for each individual, our people are guaranteed the right to express any thought, free from government censorship. The essence of this forbidden censorship is content control. Any restriction on expressive activity because of its content would completely undercut the profound national commitment to the principle that debate on public issues should be uninhibited, robust, and wide open. Types of speech. Core political speech. This is the most highly guarded form of speech because of its purely expressive nature and importance to a functional republic. Restrictions placed upon core political speech must weather strict scrutiny analysis or they will be struck down. The primary exception to this would be within the context of the electoral process, whereby the Supreme Court has ruled that suffrage or standing for political office as a candidate are not political speech and thus can be subjected to significant regulations, such restrictions have been upheld in Buckley v. Vallejo. Commercial speech. Not wholly outside the protection of the First Amendment is commercial speech, which is speech that proposes a commercial transaction, as defined by O'Krollick v. Ohio State Bar Association in 1978. Such speech still has expressive value although it is being uttered in a marketplace ordinarily regulated by the state. In 1980, Central Hudson Gas and Electric Corp v. Public Service Commission held that restrictions of commercial speech are subject to a four-element intermediate scrutiny. Sorrell v. IMS Health Inc. 2011, casts doubt upon whether commercial speech still exists as a distinct type of speech. Expressive Conduct Now a word from our sponsor, the Law School of America. Expressive conduct, also called symbolic speech or speech acts, is nonverbal conduct that intends to communicate a message. 
Examples include creating or destroying an object when performed as a statement, such as flag burning in a political protest, silent marches and parades intended to convey a message, clothing bearing meaningful symbols, such as anti-war armbands, bodied language, messages written in code, ideas and structures embodied as computer code, software, mathematical and scientific formulae, and illocutionary acts that convey by implication an attitude, request, or opinion. Expressive conduct is recognized as being protected under the First Amendment as a form of speech, although this is not expressly written as such in the document. For example, seen in light of the First Amendment, computer code is a way to speak about how a problem is solved, using the precise terms a computer might be given as directions, and flag burning is a way to speak or express forcefully of one's views opposing the acts or political position of the relevant country. Significantly, the possibility exists for a single speech act to be protected or not depending upon context and intention. For example, there may be a First Amendment distinction between burning a flag and protest and the same act performed as mere wanton vandalism. Types of Speech Restrictions The Supreme Court has recognized several different types of laws that restrict speech, and subjects each type of law to a different level of scrutiny. Content-Based Restrictions Content-based restrictions are presumptively unconstitutional regardless of the government's benign motive, content-neutral justification, or lack of animus toward the ideas contained in the regulated speech. Restrictions that require examining the content of speech to be applied must pass strict scrutiny. Content-based restrictions can either discriminate based on viewpoint or subject matter. An example of a law regulating the subject matter of speech would be a city ordinance that forbids all picketing in front of a school except for labor picketing. This law would amount to subject matter discrimination because it favors one subject over another in deciding who it will allow to speak. An example of a law that regulates a speaker's viewpoint would be a policy of a government official who permitted pro-life proponents to speak on government property but banned pro-choice proponents because of their views would be engaged in viewpoint discrimination. Restrictions that apply to certain viewpoints but not others face the highest level of scrutiny, and are usually overturned, unless they fall into one of the court's special exceptions. An example of this is found in the United States Supreme Court's decision in Legal Services Corp. v. Velasquez in 2001. In this case, the court held that government subsidies cannot be used to discriminate against a specific instance of viewpoint advocacy. The court pointed out in Snyder v. Phelps, 2011, that one way to ascertain whether a restriction is content-based versus content-neutral is to consider if the speaker had delivered a different message under exactly the same circumstances, a group of parishioners standing at the very spot where Westboro stood, holding signs that said God bless America and God loves you, would not have been subjected to liability. It was what Westboro said that exposed it to tort damages. Time, place, and manner restrictions. Grained v. City of Rockford, 1972, summarized the time place, manner concept, the crucial question is whether the manner of expression is basically incompatible with the normal activity of a particular place at a particular time. Time, place, and manner restrictions must withstand intermediate scrutiny. Note that any regulations that would force speakers to change how or what they say do not fall into this category, so the government cannot restrict one medium even if it leaves open another. Ward v. Rock Against Racism, 1989, held that time place, or manner restrictions must be content-neutral, be narrowly tailored, serve a significant governmental interest, leave open ample alternative channels for communication. Freedom of speech is also sometimes limited to so-called free speech zones, which can take the form of a wire fence enclosure, 
barricades, or an alternative venue designed to segregate speakers according to the content of their message. There is much controversy surrounding the creation of these areas, the mere existence of such zones is offensive to some people, who maintain that the First Amendment makes the entire country an unrestricted free speech zone. Civil libertarians often claim that free speech zones are used as a form of censorship and public relations management to conceal the existence of popular opposition from the mass public and elected officials. The Department of Homeland Security under the Bush administration had even gone so far as to tell local police departments to regard critics of the war on terrorism as potential terrorists themselves. Definition and Early History Time place, and manner restrictions refer to a legal doctrine enforced under the United States Constitution and Supreme Court. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines time, place, and manner restrictions as restriction on the time, place, or manner of expression that is justified when it is neutral as to content and serves a significant government interest and leaves open ample alternative channels of communication. The goal of time, place and manner restrictions is to regulate speech in a way that still protects freedom of speech. While freedom of speech is a fundamental right, it is not absolute, and therefore subject to restrictions. Time, place, and manner restrictions are relatively self-explanatory. Time restrictions regulate when expression can take place, place restrictions regulate where expression can take place, and manner restrictions regulate how expression can take place. A restriction may occur if someone is protesting loudly in front of someone's house in a neighborhood in the middle of the night or if someone was sitting in the middle of a busy intersection during rush hour, for example. These actions would cause problems for other people, so restricting speech in terms of time, place, and manner addresses a legitimate societal concern. Restricting this speech would be constitutional because the restrictions are content-neutral, meaning they would restrict anyone from saying anything in these situations, no matter what their message is, they are narrowly drawn meaning the restriction was examined specifically for the case in question to determine how to serve the governmental interest at stake, the restrictions serve a significant governmental interest, meaning other fundamental rights are important to citizens, such as sleeping peacefully at night or people getting to work or home from work, and there are plenty of alternative methods of communicating their message, such as writing an editorial in the paper or moving to the sidewalk at a different time in the day. One of the earliest mentions of the principle of time, place, and manner restrictions comes in the Cox v. Louisiana, 1965, case. Justice Goldberg delivered the opinion and stated, from these decisions, certain clear principles emerge. The rights of free speech and assembly, while fundamental in our democratic society, still do not mean that everyone with opinions or beliefs to express may address a group at any public place and at any time. From this, the United States Supreme Court doctrine of time, place, and manner restrictions emerged. Time, Place, and Manner Restrictions and the First Amendment The First Amendment of the United States Constitution declares, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble, and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. It is easy to mistakenly interpret the First Amendment as granting people the right to say whatever they want, whenever, and wherever they want. However, the United States Supreme Court has interpreted that the First Amendment was never intended to provide such power, because it does not protect speech at all times and in all places. The Court has consistently ruled that the government has the power to impose limits on free speech in regard to its time, place, and manner of delivery. As noted in Clark v. Community for Creative Nonviolence, 1984, 
restrictions, are valid provided that they are justified without reference to the content of the regulated speech, that they are narrowly tailored to serve a significant governmental interest, and that they leave open ample alternative channels for communication of the information. These restrictions are proved constitutional time and time again, in many Supreme Court cases. It is important to understand the limits to the protection of freedom of speech by learning about time, place, and manner restrictions. Public Forum Doctrine Time, place, and manner restrictions are often linked with the Public Forum Doctrine. The Supreme Court has established three types of forums, traditional public forums, designated forums, and non-public forums. Traditional public forums include public areas, such as parks and sidewalks. These areas have the strongest protections under the First Amendment. Although, traditional public forums are still subject to traditional time, place, and manner restrictions, meaning restrictions must be content-neutral, serve a significant governmental interest, and allow for ample alternatives. As noted in United States Postal Service v. Council of Greenberg Civic Associations, 1981, the First Amendment does not guarantee access to property simply because it is owned or controlled by the government. Justice Marshall and Grain v. City of Rockford, 1972, also noted something similar, saying the crucial question is whether the manner of expression is basically compatible with the normal activity of a particular place at a particular time. The power of restriction has been seen in many cases, such as in the city of Chicago v. Alexander, 2014, case when the Occupy movement was restricted because the park was closed and they were not allowed to protest there during that time. Nevertheless, Speech cannot be discriminated against because of the views of the speaker, or the content of their speech. These are generally called viewpoint and content-based limitations. Some people argue that time, place, and manner restrictions are relied on too heavily by free speech doctrine, resulting in less free speech allowed in public forums. This view is highly contested. Other people, such as Justice Pierce, who delivered the opinion in the city of Chicago v. Alexander, 2014, argue restrictions are only meant to defer speech, in order to limit problems that are put on society. A designated forum is usually public property the government opens for public expression, such as theaters and state schools. The difference between traditional public forums and designated public forums is in a designated public forum the government may limit access to the area to only certain groups, speakers, or subjects, so long as the rules are consistent. Designated public forums are subject to the same restrictions as traditional public forums, meaning the time, place, and manner restrictions must be content-neutral, serve a governmental interest, and allow ample alternatives. Restrictions in a designated forum can be seen in cases such as Widmer v. Vincent, 1981, and City of Madison Joint School District v. Wisconsin Perk, 1976. Non-public forums include airport terminals and internal mail systems. In these areas the government has significant control over the speech they allow in these forums because the government acts like a private owner here. This means the government may restrict any speech, as long as the restrictions are reasonable, and do not come into play because a public official wants the speech restricted. Therefore, content may be restricted because of the subject or the speaker. However, the restrictions must align with the purpose of the area and be viewpoint neutral. This doctrine has been applied to cases such as Perry Education Association v. Perry Local Educators Association, 1983, and Hazelwood School District v. Coolmere, 1988. The Law School of America. This has been a Creative Commons licensed podcast. 
The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation incorporated under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America.